Welcome to 143 Pixels. I'm Bill, and we're here to talk about the games we love. Each episode, I bring a friend, and that friend brings a game. This is the Season 4 teaser, and uh, you're going to hear a little bit from each of the episodes that we're going to have throughout Season 4. I had a whole bunch of really, really awesome people agree to join me on the show, and I'm really excited for you to hear these episodes. I had so much fun recording them and editing them and putting everything together. But so far, I only have nine episodes for uh, season four of 143 Pixels. Most of the time, uh, a season of 143 will have 10 episodes. And uh, don't worry, I'm still working on getting our 10th episode. I am in contacts with somebody. We're having conversations about trying to figure out what dates we can record because our schedules don't quite match up the way that we would really, really like to. Uh, but that's that's coming. So that 10th episode, obviously you're not going to hear that person talking in this uh, season four preview. But just keep in mind, I'm still hard at work behind the scenes working on getting the, the final episode for uh, season four of 143 Pixels. Before I introduce everybody who participated in season four and tell you about the games that we, we discussed I want to take a a couple of minutes to do some quick housekeeping. First, I want to talk about the seasonal nature of 143 Pixels. I do this show as seasons in order to prevent having a, a week where, through no actual fault of my own, I can't put out an episode. I like to have consistency. That's why I get a set of episodes together, and I put them out every week, and then I take a break while I build the next season. Um, I, I would hate it to have somebody ready to listen to the next episode of 143 and have it not be there. So that's why I do the show as a season. And then you might be curious, why are you telling us about this? Well, because I know that there's people who, they don't like waiting. They want to hear... The shows as soon as they're done. And so I want to tell you about Patreon. Uh, if you head to patreon.com slash runjumpstomp, there's a whole bunch of different ways that you can support. One of those ways is at the early access tier. The early access tier of the Patreon gets you those episodes as soon as I'm done with them. So you don't have to wait for the season to start. In fact, some people have already heard all of the episodes of season four of 143 pixels because they are part of the early access tier. So if that sounds good to you, if you want to hear this stuff and support independent gaming content like this, then head on over to patreon.com slash run jump stomp. Now, the next piece of information that I want to talk about is also related to that seasonal blueprint that I have for the show. Like I said before, we do the show in seasons, but I thought, and I don't know why I never thought of this sooner, I thought, what if I could have some bonus content that comes out between seasons that doesn't need me to wrangle a guest? What would that look like? Well, a mailbag would work perfectly for that. So, If there is any episode from any of the seasons that you really, really liked and it spoke to you, or maybe you decided to play the game after listening to that episode, or maybe 
listening to an episode reminded you why you love a game so much and you want to share your story with a game that you love, then send an email to 143pixels at gmail.com. That's 143, just the numbers, not spelled out or anything, 143pixels at gmail.com. And then I can use those, bring them together, all of the emails that I get, and put them together in a mailbag episode. Or if we get enough, then multiple mailbag episodes to go between segments. Or not segments, but between seasons. So that's something I I don't know why I hadn't thought of this (laughs) forever ago. It just occurred to me um, while I was editing season four. So anyway... Uh, Those are the housekeeping items that I wanted to take care of. Let's go ahead and get back to introducing the, I guess, the cast of season four of 143 Pixels. So who are we definitely going to hear from this time around? Well, usually I just list off the people and then I list off the games. But what I've decided to do instead is I'll tell you the person... And then I'll tell you the game, and then I'll play a little clip from that particular interview. Uh, These are in no particular order. Well, okay, they are in a particular order. They are in alphabetical order uh, because that's how my, uh, my, (laughs) my file system is organizing them and as I look at them in front of me. So let's get started. Um, we're, we're, we've got Andre Seegers, who is, uh, the, the guy who founded Game Explain, and he came on and talked to me about Super Mario 64. Actually, no, it isn't. It really isn't because, yeah, this game basically pioneered, uh, the analog control stick. I mean, Nintendo, we've seen this many times and actually probably most starting with Mario 64, where Nintendo would design a controller around one basic idea in mind. And in the, in, in the case of Nintendo 64, that was obviously Mario 64, where the controller and the game do go hand in hand as largely uh, because of the control stick, which gave you full analog control. And they really use that. Uh, they really kind of use that to its maximum potential, I feel like, in Mario 64. Like, there's no better showcase of analog te- technology in that game. Um, where you can just tilt it a little bit to walk, push it a lot to run. There's no run button. A Mario game without a run button. Like, how <laughs> wild is that, uh, especially at that time? And again, it's something that Nintendo's gone back on, oddly enough, with like the three, some of the 3D games, like 3D Land and 3D World, where they reintroduce a run button, I think redundantly so. We don't need it. Um, I never thought of that. Stick. That kind of blows <laughs> yeah. my mind. I never thought about the fact that Mario 64 didn't need a run button because you had the analog controls. But then the later games have run buttons for some reason, and there's no right. need for them. That's weird. It's very weird. Like, I'm just always holding run anyway. It's Yeah, it doesn't really make any sense. Then there's Brian Ibbett, who is from The Morning Stream and Coverville and America's Next Top Podcaster. Uh, he came on and talked about one of his favorite arcade games of all time, Tempest. And if you and if you got really good at it or even marginally good at it, there were ways at certain arcades that you could play for an entire afternoon or even an entire day on two or three quarters if you were if you were clever about it. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, there is a um, early early versions of the ROM, and and uh, that would be one of the first things that my uncle and I, my uncle was was a big fan of the game as well. Uh, early versions of the game had this this dip switch on the ROM that would turn on um, uh, this mode, this super hidden mode, where if you got to the um, the red 
V. Was it the red? No, I'm sorry. It was the, um, it's been a while since I've done this because my I have my own Tempest machine. It's on free play, so I don't have to do this. But you get to a certain level. I think it's actually, you know, it's the regular V. Um, and then you die and you start from that level on your next game and end your score with zero zero or 30 then um then it would automatically refill the game with 40 credits oh my gosh and that's huge you could just you could just keep doing this over and over and over and i remember um i'd go with my uncle to uh to boulder uh, colorado all the time he was going to school up there during the summer he was still doing a couple classes and i'd go with him to the old chicago arcade it was back when old chicago pizza had a had a built-in arcade in boulder and they had one of these tempest machines that had the um the messed up uh, rom or had the old rom and he dropped me off there in the morning with a buck <laughs> <laughs> i'd i'd play i'd get the 40 credits and then when i got down low to like three or four credits left i'd get him again and i could seriously play that game for the entire day while he was uh, going to his classes four or five hours he'd be going to his classes and i would just sit there on one dollar at an arcade and be totally occupied were, the, were there a the bunch point. of kids around you behind like, oh, my God, it's it's that guy who can always, always like he plays Tempest forever. I asked I, Chris, to come on the show. Chris ends and we sat down and had a conversation about sports games, of all things, more specifically hockey games, because he is a huge fan of hockey. I always enjoy like the for me playing the video game of hockey. I enjoy the little touches that they do because I know the on the creative side, like having the goalies like in between the plays, they're like pulling their mask off and taking a drink of water or whatever. Like they don't need to have that in the video game to make mm-hmm. it fun to play hockey, but it's a little touch that like makes it feel like you're watching, but then also getting to play the game. And and so I always enjoy. Yeah, I don't often skip all those little cutscenes and at, like the start of the game. There's like the announcers introducing the the game and and why it's important and uh, what it means in terms of the you know the history of hockey, the way sports people do with 110 percent and keeping your stick on the ice and all that stuff, all the cliche stuff. But the and then the arenas themselves are represented really well. So I've, I haven't been to many NHL arenas, but the few that I have, it's like, well, I can see that's where my seat was. And, you know, um, just the, the overall presentation of the game is so, so fun to watch and experience. And especially as we have, obviously, compared to <laughs> back in 94, the massive TVs with, you know, HD, 4K, mm-hmm. whatever stuff. Like it just, it's just incredible. And, and that experience, like you said, your wife sort of like at a glance, it's like, oh, he's watching. Ho- oh, no, he's playing hockey. I didn't, you know, you did. There is that second look that you, you take. I noticed my kids always are like skipping the cutscenes. It's like, just get me to the action whenever we play. Um, but I especially love like the goal celebration stuff and probably similar in, in, in uh, Madden. It would be like the touchdown celebration scenes or whatever. And you're just like that little moment of a gloating over a goal and they show the instant replay and you get to kind of like stick it to your friend or your kid, in my case, if you're playing against <laughs> someone of uh, watching the replay of how you, you own them or whatever in a, in a goal. And it's similar to that, like Fortnite mm-hmm. headshot, I guess, experience or whatever. Um, but yeah, just lots of fun. I spoke to fellow America's Next Top podcaster contestant Diddy Does Games, and we talked about one of his favorite games of all time and one of my favorite games of all time, World of Warcraft. Um, I thought this past one, I know this, this past expansion got a lot of flack. I loved it. I thought the storyline of... Sylvanas and her her fall into into uh being uh you know power hungry was 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 an excellent storyline I just thought it was great and I know a lot of people didn't like it but I thought it was a really good story 
Well, I've I've listened to some of the books and stuff and followed. I'm not a real lore nerd, but <laughs> but I do enjoy the story of the game. Yeah, I'm 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 a little less than you because I I have a casual relationship with World of Warcraft these days. I played it nonstop for about seven years, and then. Um, some other game distracted me for just long enough for it to break its hold on me finally. Uh, and now every once in a while I'll be like, Ooh, I think I want to play some World of Warcraft. And I hop in and I always say to myself, man, this time, this time I am going to read every quest and, you know, experience all of the lore because it does have a very, very rich lore, and there's something very appealing to me about that, but it's also daunting knowing that there's 15 years worth of stuff there. Are you one of those guys that reads every quest, or do you just click and follow the arrow to the next thing? The the very first time, like the first time through an expansion, um, I'll usually do it horde side and then to go and do it alliance side, and I'll read all the quest lines and and try to pick up as much of it as I can. Once I do it the first time, I use an add-on and just click, give me an arrow to point me at the next place. <laughs> Jeff Kanata took a break from We Have Concerns DLC and the Dungeon Run to come on the show and talk about Ultima 7, The Black Gate. It's a wild to me, the world that we're living in now where geek culture is culture. Geek culture is the mainstream culture. I mean, the biggest movies, the biggest books, the biggest properties of biggest TV shows. I mean, everything is the stuff that I was made fun of for liking when I was a kid. And mm -hmm. it's all now like the coolest stuff, which kind of still seems surreal to me in a large sense. But at that time, I remember vividly, vividly, the word if the word nerd was said on a television show or in passing. I would get like my, I would get sweat. I would break out in a cold sweat. And like, mm. I knew it was me and I knew it was a bad thing to be. And it would make me feel really anxious. And I would hate, I didn't want my parents to know that I was a nerd. Of course they knew. Of course they knew. <laughs> but I didn't want, like, I didn't want people to know that I was this thing that was this pariah. You know, it was, uh, it was a strange experience. I can imagine for a moment, teenage Jeff coming into the, the living room as parents are watching Family Matters and Oracle's on yeah. the screen. And, and Jeff says, Mom, Dad, I'm a nerd. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> I didn't even have the cur courage to do that. I was just like, they'll never know. You know, my mom's like, are you going to go to the dance? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going to play video games and read superhero stories. We finally have somebody on the show to talk about A Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past, thanks to Per Schneider, founder of IGN. November 21st, 1991. So yeah, you know what? Actually, I think I played it right, like probably that December or something, like not long after launch. And so this was before, you know, arcades had exploded with polygonal games, like Virtual Racing came out, I think, 92. And so I saw the polygonal animation. I'm like, whoa, hold on a second. That looks really cool. Um, how, are they, how are they doing all this stuff? And um, the uh, play, you know, played the game when it started in the house and it had this muted music with the sound of the rain and like this like this this dark room and then you go outside and it's like 
that that rain i will forever remember that rain and that sequence and what that game felt and the way it sounded and how i walked out i'm like okay i got the, i'm on this somewhat guided path and exploring and i don't have any weapons and i'm like i was instantly intrigued to think about where this would go and then you uh i think you go into the hyrule castle you find your you find your uncle and you get your sword and like just hitting the sword button all of that felt good everything felt right and it sounded great and the sound of the rain when you were indoors and the castle was still going on and muted in the background and it was just this moment of realizing wow this team put so much work into the cinematic angle like really creating this story and has this this amazing attention to detail on how things sound and look and i i i instantly thought okay this is something special you did well. You picked well. Uh, and then I kept exploring this this game. And as you get out of the castle and you realize it is this open world, I was like, okay, this is so different from anything else that I've played. You know, yeah. and I played some, I'd say I played some early like Ultima role-playing games like that, but they looked so different. This looked beautiful and it seemed so open. It looked like you could do anything in the world. And speaking of games that it took way too long to get to, Super Mario World makes its debut thanks to Seth Scott. Seth is a uh, video game designer who has made video games for all kinds of different platforms, including the Nintendo Switch. To me, and I think just to games in general, is like the the overworld. You know, like it, Mario the Mario Three had this as well, but um, it just felt so much more alive, and it was full of alternate paths and secrets and um you know it just really gave this sense of exploration that you weren't just playing these 2d uh platforming levels you know one at a time i know you know mario one and two were more like that just level you know menu screen level menu screen yada yada and three definitely helped to you know start to make that overworld feel more distinct um but yeah, in Super Mario World, it just felt like everything was connected and, you know, the biomes and all the different, you know, worlds that you could explore in that game. And then, you know, not even to me- start to mention, like, we, I'm sure we'll talk about it at some point, but like the secrets and the hidden paths and the things that you started to open up. Um, it really just felt like a, like a living, breathing thing, you know, and like, yeah, like looking back at the graphics now, it's still a gorgeous game and it... it um, it looks great, you know, like it, it feels in some ways like it could be released, you know, last year uh, as an indie, as you know, in some indie platformer or something. But it's just like so polished and just every aspect of it from, you know, the opening through the final bits of it are just in my eyes, like pretty close to a perfect game. And 143 Pixels finally had its first repeat guest with Tony P. Henderson. He came on to talk about Super Mario Brothers 3, but we spent the whole time talking about the wizard instead well now um hey i'm, I'm gonna need you to make a video of that we need to test <laughs> test the power glove yeah um in honor of the wizard <laughs> but um so so this guy he's you know he's the bad guy he's using his power glove everyone's blown away um and his famous line is i love the power glove it's so bad as in <laughs> you know bad as in good in in the late 80s um so cut to they go through all the emotional stories. Everyone ties up their loose ends. Oh, I forgot about the dinosaur. Bill, don't let me go before I tell you about the dinosaur. Okay. okay. I don't remember <laughs> the dinosaur at all. So 
they get to the video game tournament, which is, of course, at Universal Studios, which, again, as a kid, they travel across, quote-unquote, the country. They get to this video game. Actually, it might be the state, but they get to this video game tournament. I'm blown away. Um, so they bring the wizard, Fred Savage's little brother. Um, of course, the the bad guy, the Johnny Lawrence guy, shows up. He's happens to be there. And then some random nerdy girl that you never meet throughout the movie she just is also good at video games and when i say nerdy girl they have her in the pigtails the glasses <laughs> i think overalls like classic 80s nerd um so they're playing through these tournaments playing through these games advancing it's the most dramatic um dramatic presentation you've ever seen which i i was eating up you know bit by bit um and they get to the final game. So it's the nerdy girl, the bad guy, the wizard. And they reveal it's a game that nobody has ever played ever before. And it's Super Mario Brothers 3. <laughs> and they, they, it's this huge reveal. Now, in for me, I had never seen the game. Again, because I wasn't on, you know, I, was, I didn't have my finger on the pulse of video games when I was 10. And we lived in Germany, and when the movie came out, I don't think the game was available yet. But come to find out, I've since read, the game had already been released. So they really kind of buried the lead there for a lot of people. And finally, fans of point-and-click adventures are sure to enjoy my episode with TV's Travis, where we talk about Sam and Max hit the road. But there's a point in the game where you're at a former... I think it was a mini golf course that got flooded in Florida. So now it's uh, a driving range. It's called Gator Golf. Mm -hmm. And you have uh, Max is caught in a dunk tank on the other end of the driving range. And you have to figure out how to get across the driving range. Now, using... Max is the rabbit thing, right? Yes. Okay. Yep, okay Max is going. the rabbit guy. So he's been captured. He's been put in the dunk tank. You have to get across to get him out. There's a driving range. You've got a bucket of golf balls, a golf club. And somewhere along the line, you've picked up, or hopefully you have, a bucket of fish. <laughs> okay. So you have to wrap your head around and use the fish to lure the gators into a line so you can walk across their back to get out to Max. It took so long to figure that part of it out. Because you can use the golf balls, and you'll hit the gators, and they, they'll move. But they never move the way you want. But as soon as you start using the fish, you can like lure them in and get them into this line. It took us forever to figure it out and then to get them all lined up because you could get them lined partly. But if one was out of, out of whack, you'd get partway across and then run back. Meanwhile, as all this is going on, Max is sitting out there yelling at you and like berating your ability to hit golf balls. Mm -hmm. So it took a while to do. But yeah, every one of these puzzle games, they always have that one puzzle that just makes you beat your head against a wall. So this, this is a puzzle, the puzzle that you were working on over at your friend's house. Yeah. Yep. It took us forever to get. And when we finally did, we just, I mean, we felt like the greatest gamers in the history of mankind. <laughs> you know, it was just the, the greatest achievement. And from that point on, the rest of the game felt easy. We figured it out somehow. It just, we got that high from that and we were able to just roll through the rest of it. So those are going to be the first nine episodes of 143 Pixels Season 4. Thank you so much for listening to this show. I hope that you enjoy it as much as I enjoy making it. I'm still working on getting Episode 10, uh, but I think that this season...
is a really great lineup of both people and games, even though it's not complete yet. And I just want to say one more time, thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. And remember, no matter what the game, no matter what system it's on, no matter when you played it, if you had fun, then the resolution doesn't matter. The theme song for 143 Pixels is Through a Cardboard World by Tony Lays. You can find more of their music at tonylays.bandcamp.com. If you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can find it at Pixels143. And if you want to follow me, I'm at RunJumpStomp. This show is part of the Giant Size Team Up Network. For more information, head on over to gstu.net.